This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. This week, our news department has taken a look at human trafficking in the state. This morning, we'll hear a survivor story. And I was told that if I did not do it, that she had my stepdad wrapped around her finger and my mom was gone. I would never have anybody to love or care about me ever again. And so if I didn't do it, I'd be out on the streets. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. West Virginia's Corrections Commissioner says jail guard vacancies are being filled. Randy Yowie has the story. While West Virginia remains in a corrections emergency, with hundreds of National Guard members helping fill the ranks, progress is being made. In a Wednesday media briefing, Department of Corrections Commissioner Billy Marshall said since May of this year, 227 had graduated from the Guard Training Academy, with another 52 currently in class. Marshall said a new recruiting campaign is working, and changes in the six-week class, getting recruits out on the floors at two and a half weeks, is giving recruits and supervisors decision-making experience. It's really allowed the individual to get within our facilities, behind the doors, to see if if they're cut out for this kind of a work. In mid-October, Marshall said there were 990 jail guard vacancies statewide. He now says facilities in Mason and Kanawha counties are fully staffed for the first time in as long as he can remember. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. Mountaineer Gas says it has restored 100% of water-filled gas lines on the west side of Charleston. But many residents are still without heat, and the outages are taking a toll on the community. Brianna Heaney has the story. Margaret Marr sits in her home with an overcoat on and space heaters placed around the room on Charleston's west side. Her fluffy Persian cats are curled up in tight balls. The temperature outside is 28 degrees. She had a pump in her furnace replaced an hour before, but the floors are still ice cold from the 18 days she spent without heat. She says she's worried it'll break again. It had different parts replaced by contract crews, but she says it hasn't stayed on for more than 15 minutes before it goes out again. You hear about on the news, oh, the... You know, 1,100 people are all set now, their heat's on. No, we, no, our heat is not on, you know. It makes me angry when I see that on the news. We're still suffering over here. The gas outage that lasted around two weeks and affected 1,500 Mountaineer Gas Company customers was caused by a West Virginia American water line break. The water infiltrated the gas lines. Mountaineer Gas said that the 46 miles of gas lines affected have been dried and fully restored. However, many home appliances, like water heaters, furnaces, and stoves, were damaged or destroyed when water entered the gas lines. And because of it, many households, like Mars, are still without hot water or heat. Jay Marino owns one of the contracted companies responsible with getting water-damaged appliances fixed or replaced. His office's garage is filled with boxes of new water heaters and furnaces. Outside, he has dozens of water-destroyed appliances that his crew took out of homes. Yeah, we're doing daily what we would typically do in a week. Wow. That's, that's the extreme. That's the extreme. And you never see this. You never see this volume. Since the early days of the outage, his company has been carrying triple the caseload they normally do. 
And he says his teams have been working nonstop. They're working 14, 15 hours a day. They haven't stopped in two weeks. They work through Thanksgiving. We gave them a couple hours off for dinner, and then they're, you know, they're back at it. The west side, where the gas outage occurred, is a lower-income neighborhood of Charleston with a high percentage of residents who are people of color. Marr believes that other, more affluent areas would have had a different response. But because of preconceived notions about her neighborhood, she thinks the crisis has not been treated with urgency, leaving her and other residents in the cold. Because it's the west side, we're still sitting here. You know what I'm saying? On November 21st, the Charleston City Council wrote a letter to the Public Service Commission asking them to delay or reject a proposed rate increase for both Mountaineer Gas Company's 4% increase and West Virginia American Water's 22% increase. It reads, While this small action would not make the West Side residents whole, it would at least allow them to avoid another drastic rate increase, as they are still recovering from a severe service interruption that was costly to them, the council said in the letter. City Councilman Larry Moore signed the letter. His entire district was without gas. On Saturday, November 25th, a house burned down after multiple portable heaters were attached to an outlet by an extension cord, which became overloaded and caused a fire. Two people were hospitalized and four were left homeless. Moore says the cost to people's health and property, as well as the likely increase in people's utility bills due to the use of portable heaters, are all reasons why the PSC should consider waiting to approve an increase that would cost his already struggling community more money. Hopefully it sheds light and then they can see that the infrastructure needs work, worked on bad before, you know, our rates go up, can we get the infrastructure fixed? Mountaineer Gas plans to credit Westside residents' accounts with $75 off their next bill. The Public Service Commission opened an investigation on November 16th to look into the widespread gas outage and the utility's response to the outage. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.50. Becoming mostly sunny today, highs in the 50s. Increasing clouds tonight with low temperatures in the 30s. Tomorrow, a chance of rain, highs in the 50s. Support for WVPB is provided by Solar Holler, helping Appalachian businesses and nonprofits control their energy costs by producing their own solar power. More at solarholler.com. Human trafficking has been called an invisible crime. It's often difficult to identify and harder to prosecute. In the first two installments of this series, News Director Eric Douglas looked into human trafficking in the Mountain State and learned how prosecutors look for evidence of a crime. 
For the final story, we'll hear from Jane Doe. She is a human trafficking survivor. We have agreed to change her name to protect her identity. A warning, there is no explicit language in this reporting, but some of the topics may be difficult for some listeners. When federal prosecutors released arrest information on the people involved in trafficking Jane Doe, it made national headlines because one of the perpetrators was the police chief in the small town where they lived. They've taken three years of my life telling a story that wasn't even true. There was missing parts of it, and I just want to be able to fill the missing pieces with what actually happened. In Doe's case, her stepmother sold her to a man for sex. That man should have been someone she reported the crime to, not the other way around. Both people have been convicted for their crimes. The stepmother has been sentenced, but the man has not received his punishment yet. Doe's birth father struggled with addiction and was out of the picture. Then Doe lost her mother to cancer, and her stepfather eventually remarried. Her stepmother used that as leverage. And I was told that if I did not do it, that she had my stepdad wrapped around her finger and my mom was gone. I would never have anybody to love or care about me ever again. And so if I didn't do it, I'd be out on the streets. Doe's stepfather wasn't arrested in connection with this human trafficking case, but Doe says she felt like she was on her own. No one would believe me. I was just a girl who lost her mom. I was always accused of making up stories that it was always my fault, that I asked for it, that I wanted it, and I never did. It made me hate myself that people looked at me that way. At one point, Doe even attempted suicide. But despite everything she went through, she has come through the situation stronger. It made me who I am today, and without that, I don't know if I could face what life throws at me. So I just, I cope with it day by day. I don't want to think about it, but the only way to move on from it is to think about it and put the pieces back together of what was broken. As it turned out, once she came forward, Doe developed a new support system. One of those people was Tracy Chapman. In the federal system, federal crime victims have certain rights and services that they're entitled to and that they deserve under federal statute. And my role is to work with survivors of crime um, who are going through the criminal justice process to educate them about the process and what to expect to be their advocate um, throughout that process, making sure that I'm coordinating with the assistant U.S. attorneys, with case agents, with probation in the courts, making sure that the victim's rights are afforded, making sure that the victim is aware of what those rights are. One way victims' advocates help is by making sure victims are prepared to exercise the very important right of letting their voice be heard at sentencing. The following is Jane Doe reading the victim statement she wrote for her stepmother. She originally read it in court, but this was recorded in the public broadcasting studios. This one was towards my stepmom. It says, You were supposed to be a mother figure in my life when my mom passed away. You have four beautiful babies of your own, yet you still hurt me, a kid. I know that you would never want this to happen to one of your kids, so what made you think it was okay to do it to somebody else's? I was supposed to look up to you in life as a parent, a role model, a mother figure. I was supposed to trust you and put my faith in you that you would never do something so wrong that it caused me so much pain. My life fell apart when everything happened, and you didn't seem to notice nor care how it affected me. You knew what you were doing was wrong, but you did it anyways. I don't sleep at night. I don't trust anyone. I don't even know who to look up to for guidance anymore because I no longer have any parents. When my mom passed, all I wanted was a mother figure. 
someone to talk to about boys and female things that girls don't want to talk to their dads about. Instead, I couldn't trust you or come to you with anything, because in your eyes, I was nothing more than a pawn, a piece of material that could be sold for money. I was 17, a kid, a human being with feelings, and none of that mattered to you. I really wanted a family, somewhere that I felt like I belonged, and living there, I never felt more like an outcast, a burden, a waste of space. I felt like no matter what I did, I would never be more than just a materialistic pawn for you to use and abuse how you pleased with no consequences or rules set in place for your behavior. You ruined who I was, and you took everything from me, everything except my voice to speak up. Had I not spoke up, who knows how many more people would have gotten hurt because of you. But because of me, you can't hurt anyone or use anyone as a pawn for money ever again. You broke me, but I'm rebuilding what you broke, and I will become the best version of myself despite what you put me through. I'm no longer a victim. I'm a survivor. And after reading that, I told her I forgave her. Doe said she didn't fully understand or believe everything that happened to her until she testified in court. And that is the day that I completely broke down and realized that this is real. It happened to me, and I cannot change the fact that it happened to me, but I can change how I move forward in life and what I make of myself. What would you suggest if someone's going through this how would they reach out to get help? The pain that it causes you, I know that you wouldn't want to see anyone else go through it. And I've told people that I would go through this a thousand and one time more just to make sure another kid never went through it because I survived. And I don't want anyone else to lose their life because of it. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, this is Eric Douglas in Charleston. This is the final story in our three-part series on human trafficking in West Virginia. Visit our website to hear the first two stories or find links to more information. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.